to make a doctrinal point about how not only Jews can be saved, but also Gentiles. And how this matter of faith, bringing about righteousness, applies to everybody in the world, not just one group of people. In verse 10, he says, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? And then he answers his own question. Many preachers do that. Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. In other words, when did Abraham receive this imputed, this freely given righteousness? Was he, was he a Gentile or a Jew? Because Jews, of course, have circumcision. Paul's point is that happened before the circumcision. Faith brought righteousness without the Jewish law. So he says in verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had being, uh, yet being uncircumcised. It was an outward sign of an inward righteousness. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So if you want to take somebody from the Old Testament as an example, of how to receive the righteousness of God and how to walk with God, Abraham is a great place to start. He's not the only one, but in many places in the Bible, he's called the friend of God. He's called faithful Abraham. Not everybody gets that title. In verse 12, it says, The father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. And it's in the last part of verse 12 that I'd like to focus your attention. They walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon called Steps of Faith. Steps of Faith. If you would, bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. What a privilege it is to sing these songs about you and to you. Thank you for these people that have gathered here this morning. I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Bring to mind things that I need to say and guide and direct in every way. God, please make your presence known this morning. Help us to take these important steps of faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And at the end of verse 12, notice it says, Who also walk in the steps of that faith. Not just the faith, that faith. Abraham had a very specific and special, I'm going to say unique kind of faith. You don't find this kind of faith in a lot of people. But the whole point of the passage is that faith, that deep faith that Abraham had, anybody can have it. Not just Jews, even Gentiles. Not just pastors, even church members. Anybody can walk in the steps of this faith. I want to point something else out in this passage. It says the steps of that faith. The, the kind of faith that saves you, the kind of faith that Jesus offers, this is the faith of Jesus Christ, is a faith that moves you to action. It's not just God giving you a different belief system. It is God telling you, this is how I want you to live and move and have your being. This is how I want you to move through the world. The, the faith of Abraham caused him to walk. We call this walking by faith, not by sight. Not just standing in faith. You do need to take a stand for what God says. But the faith that God gives you, that is God saying, here's what I want you to believe Here's what I want you to do. That faith should move you to take some steps. And I want to walk you through the life of Abraham this morning and show you some of the steps that he took. So come with me to Genesis chapter 12. I, I know we've been going through the book of Luke, and we will continue that series, by the way. I'm just trying to be mindful this morning to do what God told me to do. I believe he'd have me to preach to you about these steps of faith. In Genesis chapter 12, we read in verse number 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, that's your family, and from thy father's house. So kindred, that's your extended relatives. And from thy father's house, those are the family that's living under your roof. Those are the near relatives. Unto a land that I will show thee. 
Can you with, go with me just for a moment this morning? Think this through. What if God came to you this morning and told you that? How would you react? What would be your next step? What would be that next step? You say, Pastor, the Bible says rightly divide. This is Old Testament, and God said that to Abraham, not to me, so I don't have to worry. <laughs> Amen, that's true. You know what this is doing to Abraham? It is completely, totally, and utterly changing his life. Would you agree with me on that? Everything about his life is about to change. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit asks of all of us when he comes to us and says, here's the Savior. You need the Lord Jesus Christ to wash away your sins and to make you part of his body. He is not saying, here's a free ticket to heaven and now go live your life the way you want. He's offering you salvation from hell, from sin, towards holiness and towards heaven. He is asking and commanding and demanding a complete overhaul of your life. So the first step of faith I believe we learn from Abraham is a courageous step. This step took a lot of courage. This took a lot of courage. Abraham was from a place called Ur of the Chaldees. I don't have a map to show you, so you just have to go with me in your imagination. The Persian Gulf, you have the rivers Tigris and the Euphrates, the Mesopotamian area there. Ur of the Chaldees is right at the bottom where those two rivers meet, just near the Persian Gulf. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees and goes to a place called Haram. So if you have Israel here, I'm turning around. I'm sorry, I'm not being rude, just so that we're looking at the map the same way. Ur of the Chaldees is here. Canaan is over here, the land of Israel. Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees, goes north to a place called Haran, spends some time there. His father died. His father went with him. Abraham, that was a mistake. You're, you're supposed to leave your father's house. But his father went with him up to Haran. His father died, and then God said, keep moving, and he came down to the land of Canaan. All right, just so you see, that was the path that he took. He didn't go straight through the desert. That was quite a dangerous path. So he, he just started walking. God said, uh, Abraham, take a walk. Take a walk of faith. Where am I going? I'll tell you as you go. You know what? If that had been me, I'd say, God, you need to give me the GPS coordinates. Can you drop a pin, send it to my WhatsApp so that I know exactly, you know, which route to take? I'll take the long route around the desert, but God, you've got to give me more details, not Abraham. Courage is doing what you need to do in the face of fear. It's not the removal of fear. It's doing what you're commanded to do despite your fears. They have done archaeological digs of the town where Abraham was from. They have found houses there, 12 bedrooms, 18 bedrooms. This was the common man's house. It's very likely that Abraham, and we know this from the Bible, he was a wealthy man. He was doing very well for himself. And God said to him, listen, listen, when he was quite old, advanced in age, probably past the years of retirement. He said, time to leave, Abraham. Start walking. Where am I going? I'll let you know. But for now, I need you to go. Oh, leave the family behind. Oh, but God, you know, here in Ur, that's not our culture. We're a very family-oriented people, and I know you are, and I know it's going to be tough, but you need to go. That took a lot of courage. That took a lot of courage to leave behind a very comfortable, solid situation in Ur. My retirement plan has been set up. I, I have a nice house. I got servants. I know how life works here. I speak the language here. And now, God, you're asking me to go somewhere. And I don't even know what to expect. What language? How am I going to get money? Where am I going to live? I know nothing. God says, yes, but I do. You see, the Bible says a man's heart deviseth his path, but the Lord directs his what? steps. God can't give you direction if you don't take steps. Say, but I know God wants me to do this. I, I read it in the Bible. He wants me to change my life and, and do more of this and less of this. I need to do that, not this. You see that, but you go, I, I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know how other people are going to react. But you know what God commanded you to do. 
And you may be a little worried about how am I going to work all this out? How am I going to make a living? Where am I going to? God said do this. You need to obey in the face of your fears. Have some courage. Have some guts. Say, God, this is going to be an adventure. My heart would work out a different plan. But you told me to take this step. And if you don't tell me the next 10 steps, I'll just each step of the way let you tell me which, where to put the right foot, where to put the left foot. It takes a lot of courage to walk by faith. You know, when we came to Africa almost 20 years ago, I did a survey trip. I went to Malawi, spent three weeks there, looked everything over, found out how much everything cost, looked into, you know, where I could live. I showed up in Africa. No, I didn't have everything figured out. I learned a lot as, as I settled into the land there. But I kind of had a plan. <laughs> so was there faith involved? Well, yes, God told me to do it, and I tried to obey as best I could. But, man, I... I had a lot of insight on what life was like there. I had fellow missionaries that had lived there before and friends in Zambia. And, you know, I kind of, it wasn't that dangerous. It wasn't that scary. Abraham had none of that. He knew nobody, nor did he even know where he was going. Now, if you think that's scary, here's what's really scary. He had to go home and tell Sarah. <laughs> Just think of that conversation. Abraham had gone out and prayed about it. And now, you know, if, if I'm Abraham, I fast, I pray, I make, you know, I would say I, I checked my Bible. Abraham didn't have a Bible. He just had a walk with God. That's all he had. And he had made sure that this is the will of God. He goes home and says, Sarah, at that time her name was Sarai. He said, Sarai, uh, honey, have a seat. Como es brat? Well, what's wrong, babe? Well, you know, you know, you know I believe in Jehovah. And I've been having this conversation with him and, well, he wants us to move. Oh, we're moving? We're getting a new house? Oh, that's exciting. I saw a place just down the road in that other neighborhood. It's a nice subdivision. And, oh, is that what we're... No, not quite. Well, what is it? I mean, you know, Tani so-and-so has a, a boy, a, a buy a moy plek a plos, doc. Are we going to maybe... No, actually, you might want to say goodbye to... That Tani. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, you're probably not going to see her again. Un until what, next Christmas? No, I don't know what Christmas is, but no, you're probably not going to see her then. Um, I don't think you're going to see her again at all. What, what do you mean, Abraham? What are you trying to say? Okay, let me just come right out with it. God told me that we should leave Kenan country and go somewhere else. Okay. Where? Where are we going? I, yeah, he didn't say. That's the scary part. <laughs> How's my wife going to take this news? You know, I have met a decent number of men that have failed to fulfill the will of God in their lives because they knew what God was calling them to do, but they were too scared to tell their wife that that's what God wanted them to do. And this, to this day, they're not on the mission field, they're not in the pastorate, they're not in the job they need to be in, they're not in the city they need to be in because they're scared of their wives. On the other side of that coin, thank God for women like Sarah who do not stand in the way of their man following God, taking this courageous step. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that when Abraham told Sarah about this massive change, Sarah was not afraid with any amazement. She did not go, oh, what are we going to do? How could you do this to me? What about the family? She didn't do any of that. She was not afraid with any amazement. She just said, Abram, I know you walk with God. And if that's what God wants us to do, I'm, I'm with you. You're not going to see any problems from me. Thank God for a wife like that. I came to Christina years ago and told her, I said, honey, I'm praying about going to India. I love India. You guys know that. Something about India just... I, I love the people... I love the people. I love to, I love to move my head. It's just, you know, it's just wonderful. 
You know what my wife said? She said, honey, I'm really not excited about going to that place. But I want you to know if God calls us there, I'll go. And I won't give you any problems. After I got back from my survey trip, three weeks of purgatory in Malawi, I had to have surgery to repair my ear. Christina was there for the entire two months that I, you know, of course, is recovering. I'm laying on the bed. I can't get around. I told her all the bad stuff that I could think of about Africa. Man, I had a lot of bad stuff in my heart. I did not like Africa after my first taste of it. After I told her all the bad and frustrating things, she kissed me on the forehead and she said, Honey, I'm so sorry all that happened. But I just want you to know as soon as you're ready to go back, I'm ready. I didn't have that much courage. She did. In the face of fear, to say, I'll do what God wants me to do. That's walking by faith. That is a courageous step of faith. Listen, this kind of courageous step is not just for missionaries. Every disciple in the New Testament is asked to make this sort of courageous step. Think about it. When Jesus passed by in the early days of His ministry and said to this man and to that woman, follow me, it took a lot of courage to leave behind your old life and start following who the public viewed as a renegade rogue rebel, an insurrectionist. Jesus was not the popular choice at that time. It cost these early disciples. And even after Jesus went back to heaven, the courage it took for our spiritual forefathers, let us never forget what they did to get Christianity passed down to us. In, in, in Bible school, we're studying church history and we're just about to talk about the martyrs and what they went through. And we talked about it last week a little bit. The torture that they suffered. Burning at the stake, ripped apart by beasts. Now we tell the stories of those that stood the test and had the courage. But listen, the real story is this. If you had ten martyrs lined up, ten people about to die, nine of them would recant. Nine of them would say, no, 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 never mind. I don't want to be a Christian. And they would sacrifice to the gods of Rome and get out of it. And there's that one that stands and says, the other nine have gone away. But I'm not going anywhere. I still believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm willing to stand for my faith. I'm not afraid of death. This will only bring me closer to God. And numbers of them would lay down their life. Listen, it was tough enough if they're standing there alone, but when the other nine forsake the Lord and one is left to take that stand, do you, uh, can you appreciate the courage it takes? We don't face that same kind of persecution today. But let me tell you what we do face. And listen, it takes courage for a young person today to go to school and have all their friends bullying some little kid in the class and they don't join in with the bully. Say, hey, stop it. To stand up for that, that kid that's rejected by all the other classmates to say, hey, that's not right. We should take care of this kid. We shouldn't treat him like that. To have some of you students go to university where all day long it's just filthy jokes and filthy communication and filthy language and drugs and sex and it's everywhere and for you to stand and say, I'm not going to get involved with that. I really would like to have friends and enjoy my university time, but I'm not going to go to those places. I'm not going to go do those things. I can't be a part of that activity because the Holy Spirit lives in me. And if I go there, the Holy Spirit goes with me. And I don't think the Spirit of God wants to be in that kind of place to do those kind of things. I'm sorry, I love the Lord Jesus more than I love having fun. It takes courage. Because you know, once you say that, it's very difficult to go back. You probably won't get invited out to the next function. <laughs> it takes courage, ladies and gentlemen, for you to wake up tomorrow morning and go to a workplace where you know the business is being done under the table. And you know they're cutting corners. And you know what they're doing is wrong for you to say, this is not how, how we work. This is not how business should be. That might cost you something. It might cost you your job. It might cost you that tender. It might cost, yes, it might cost you. But listen, when you take this step of faith to say, this is how God told me to believe and to live, it'll take some courage to stand up for what you believe. Some years ago, we had a 
young man in our church in Malawi. His name was P.S. P-I-U-S. P.S. He was 17 years old when I led him to Christ. He was a Muslim. He took, we call it a kanzuli, that little hat. He took off the kanzuli and threw it away and he started coming to church. He got discipled and he started coming out for our church-wide witnessing. Every Saturday we'd go out and he showed up one Saturday morning, tears just running down his face. I said, P.S., what's wrong? He said, yeah, Brother Mike, mm, I have a problem. So what's going on? He said, last night they came to my house. The, the thieves, they came to my house. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. He said, they took my fork. Not his forks. He had one fork. They took my fork. They took my plate. They took my reed mat. That was the only furniture he had. I said, P.S., I'm so sorry, man. We'll help you out. He said, Brother Mike, the reason I'm crying is not my plate and my fork. It was my uncle. And it was my cousins. They broke in my house and they stole these things. I said, why would they do that to you? He said, because they're Muslims. And I don't go to the mosque anymore. I'm coming to church here now. So they thought that by persecuting me, it would cause me to go back to the mosque. So now every day they just make fun of me and they laugh at me. And now they've broken in and stolen my things. I have nothing left at home. I said, P.S., I'm so sorry. That's heartbreaking. I said, no wonder you're you're broken up. He said, no, no, pastor, you don't understand. I said, what? What then? He said, I am crying not for my fork. I'm crying for their souls because they think that Jesus can be purchased with a fork. They think that by a plate they can pull me away from Jesus, but no, I am weeping for them because they are lost. And P.S. never went back. That took a lot of courage to give up your fork, your plate, your reed mat, and whatever future you have with your family to say, I'll follow Christ. My faith in Him is too strong. That takes a lot of courage. Genesis chapter 12, we move on from the story and Abraham takes some more steps. Now we know, right? We know from Genesis 12, Verses 1 to 7, he ends up, Abraham ends up in Canaan. And God, look at verse 7, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. I'm not preaching on altars this morning, but I will say that probably be a good thing if you built an altar in your life. That's another subject. At the first part of the verse, God said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He finally arrives in Canaan. He says, There, Abram, stop. You've walked long enough. Stop. You've reached the final. This is the destination. And I'm going to give your seed this land. Now, that may not catch you as that great of a thing, that great of a promise, but he said, Unto thy seed. Here's a man probably in his late 80s at this point. He has no children. And God says, I'm not only going to give you this land, you're going to have children. That's a big promise. That takes a lot of faith. You know, sometimes our puny minds, our feeble minds, struggle to wrap themselves around the promises of God. But Abraham, he was strong in faith, the Bible says. He believed that, okay, God, this will be our land, and you're going to give me children. You know what happened? A famine breaks out in the land of Canaan. For the rest of chapter 12, Abram had to go down into Egypt. Remember what happened? Sarah, don't tell him you're my wife. Tell him you're my sister. Works that, he works that little doozy out. He comes back out of Egypt in chapter 13. Then him and Lot, his, his nephew, they start clashing. God did say, leave your family behind. But he didn't. He brought Lot with him. Okay, well, I'm Lot and him are now button heads. So Lot had to go and off he goes towards Sodom. You know what happens in chapter 14? A war breaks out. Lot gets caught up in the middle of this war. Sodom and Gomorrah and those Zeboim, these other cities, fighting against Ketelaomer. So now Abraham has to show up with all of his servants and rescue Lot. Chapter 15, the king of Sodom tries to give Abraham a reward. So thank you for helping us out. Abraham said, listen, buddy, had nothing to do with you. <laughs> I was there for my, my, my nephew. I was just trying to help him. You were a you know, side effect of this thing. He said, keep your money. I don't want it. 
chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Don't you love it that as you take steps of faith and do what God wants you to do, God just shows up from time to time and encourages you and says, you know what, you're giving up quite a bit to follow me, and I know that. I'm your exceeding great reward. Here's Abram's response. God, I know it, but you know, I don't have any kids yet. You told me that I was going to have seed, and all I have is this servant, Eleazar. If I die, everything goes to him. So, Lord, how goes it with this? And Abram's faith, listen, took a knock. He, it's not that he didn't believe what the Lord had said, but from time to time our faith gets tested. From time to time our circumstance, we look at what God has promised and we look at what's going on in our life and we think, God, how could you possibly get me from here to there? I have no clue how you're going to get this camel through the eye of that needle. And your faith is going to get tested and it's going to have to be, listen, there's point two, it needs to be a durable faith. You're going to have to take some durable steps. When it gets tested, that faith is going to take a knock and you're going to have to be able to bounce back from those knocks. Abram says, God, I don't have any kids. And oh, the story, what a wonderful story. God says, Abram, a beautiful night sky. You know, he says, Abram, just look up there. Look at all those stars. And he says, Lord, I know it, man. Your handiwork is something special. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. God, you are a great God. Look at what you did. And he says, Abram, calm down. I know it's a beautiful thing. I've already said it's very good, but I'm trying to teach you something. Now, calm down, Abram. Now, just uh, can you count all the stars? Can you tell them? It's good Afrikaans in the English Bible. Tell the stars. It means count the stars. And Abram said, one, two, no, no, I can't. I, there's just too many. He says, Abram, that's how many kids I'm going to give you. A man in his late 80s. They've been trying for years. Try, fail. Try, fail. For years, the plan of having children had failed failed I want you to hear this for years it didn't go right for years they were frustrated for years they would probably ask God why won't you bless us with a child all these other wicked people are having dozens of kids why won't you give us just one and now God says hey Abram can you count the certain no that's how many kids you're going to have you know what Abram said okay if you say so God said you believe that Abram said you said it so I believe it. God said, really, you believe that? Sure. You're the Almighty God. If you said it, it's going to happen. I don't claim to know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. And God said, now, if you're going to have that much faith, tell you what I'm going to do. Here's my righteousness. <laughs> Verse 6. Verse 6. That was the deal. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He says, Abram, if you're going to have that kind of faith, and I know you're the kind of guy that's not just saying it, you're going to actually take some steps. You're actually going to walk by this faith. You're going to live by this faith. And Abraham, you've got to be a righteous man to have that kind of faith. And God gave him righteousness. You know what this is in the New Testament? Come here, sinner, come here. Go, oh, well, God, I can't draw an eye to you. I got too many sins. You don't know the things that I've done, the life that I lived. I'm a horrible guy. I say, I, listen, I know. I know exactly who you are. I, the hairs on your head, that, your sins are more than that. You know, then the sinner says, well, I didn't know I was that bad. He says, well, you are. Now, come here. Now, come here. Sit, sit here. Sit here. He said, where am I? We're at the cross. Now, take a look at what he's doing. He said, well, who's that? That's my son. That's your son? Yes, that's my son. What's he doing on the cross? Your sins put them there. My, my sins, yes. Well, what, 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 why are my sins killing him? Because if I, if I left your sins on you, you'd die in your sins and you'd spend forever away from me in a place called the lake of fire. And I don't want that. So what we've done is we've worked out this great plan where we took the sins off of you and put them on him. We imputed, we charged your sins to my son so that his righteousness could be charged to you. He took your place so you can take his as one of my sons or one of my children. Now, sinner, you believe that? You believe that what, the, what my son is doing is enough to save your soul from eternity, an eternity in fire? 
Do you think that's enough to give you eternal life? And that sinner down there goes, yep. God says, you really believe that? Really? I mean, this dead Jew hanging on a cross can save you eternally? God, you said it. And if you said it, I believe it. Why should I doubt it? You've never lied about anything before. So if you say that's what's going to save me, I'm going to take all of my faith and put it in that. And God says, okay. That's the kind of faith I can work with. If you'll accept him, I'll give you my righteousness. Now, just like Abram, we also struggle after you accept that that faith as a free gift. That eternal life as a free gift. You know what happens next? That faith gets tested. The promises of God get tested. Chapter 16, you know what happens? Sarah shows up and says, "Uh, honey, remember that promise God gave us about having a lot of children? Yes, oh honey, I know it. Praying for it every day. Can't wait to see God do it. Well, I've been thinking. I get to plod. I get to plod. You know, we got this lady, Hagar. Now, Hagar is somebody they picked up in Egypt when they were running from the famine and working their scheme, you know, about don't tell them you're my wife. That's Hagar. That's leftovers from the backsliding time in Egypt. Well, Sarah says to Abram, we we got this lady here, Hagar. You know what? Why don't you go in unto her and see if we can start a family through her? You know, a surrogate family, surely that would be enough to satisfy the will of God. That's probably what he meant because what we've been trying for all these years hasn't been working. And listen, I'm not getting any younger, neither are you, so let's try Hagar. Did you know Abram didn't pray about that decision? The Bible says he just did it. Look at 16 verse 5. After that happened, Hagar falls pregnant. Verse 5, And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Here's what we would say today. My bad. <laughs> Honey, that, that was my bad. That, that was a bad decision. But Sarah says, uh, Husband, my wrong be upon thee. Listen, man of the house. You're in charge of making those final decisions. It's your responsibility what happens in that house. My wrong be upon thee. The Lord, verse 5 at the end of it, the Lord judge between me and thee. God will punish us both for our part in this plan. You know what Abram did? His faith got tested. It got tested by one of the most difficult tests there is, the test of time. Because God gave Abram a promise and now Abram had to wait. And Abram... It was also tested by a lack of understanding. What we've been trying naturally hasn't worked. So God, we don't know how you're going to work this out. And time is ticking. So God, I don't know when this is all going to kick in, but I think we could help. Let's get Hagar in on it. And they tried to rush the plan. Here's what I'm preaching to you about durability. Abram messed up. You ever got ahead of God? You ever started to doubt the promises of God? You ever start to look at it through natural eyes and go, God, I don't, I don't understand how doing it your way could possibly work. God, this makes no sense. I got this lecker plan. I'm almost sure this would be fine. And we start to get frustrated. God, why won't you do this? Why won't you spring to action? Why won't you answer the prayer now? And our faith takes a knock. And we mess up and we get ahead of God or behind God and we get angry at God. By the, ch- by the time you get to the end of chapter 16, Ishmael's now in the picture. Now, now watch this, verse 16, 16, 16. Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Eighty-six years old. Now look at chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, you do the math, 86 to 99, 13 years went by, not one word from God. That one mistake cost him 13 years of fellowship. The Lord shows up to him in chapter 17 and says, Abram, come here, we need to have a chat. You kind of interfered with the plan. You were supposed to be Abram. The word Abram means high father because he was to be the father of one nation. He says, I got to change your name now. Now you're going to be Abraham, which means the father of many nations because now there's not only Ishmael, but there's also going to be Isaac and off you go. Here's the lovely thing. Abraham 
didn't quit. He didn't allow his failures to stop him from walking by faith. Here's what we do. God, here's what you expect of me. Here's what you've told me to do. I messed up. I'm no good at this. You know, I'm just going to go another way. You've got to have some durable faith. Durable enough to wait on God even when you don't understand it. Durable enough that when you mess up bad, you stand back up and go, you know what? My bad. My wrong be upon me. God, I'm not going to give up. Even though I made a lecker mess of that, I'm going to keep walking by faith. How many of you have heard the uh, slogan, takes a licking, keeps on ticking? Does anybody know that slogan? Is, is that not a thing here? How many of you know the watch brand called Timex? You've heard of Timex watches? Okay, back in the 1950s, Timex in America was trying to get off the ground. They could not, all their advertising, they couldn't get their foot in the door. And they had a very small percentage of the watch market until they hired a guy to come in in the late 50s and launch a brand new advertising effort. He decided the slogan will be, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And he went on live television and gave that watch a torture test. That's what they called it. He would take the watch and run a jackhammer on it. And live television, and then hold it up and say, see, the watch is still ticking. <laughs> he, he, one time he put it in a cube of ice and then put it in a paint mixer. And then takes it out and says, see, still ticking. Live television. He'd wrap it around a boat motor, submerge it in a tank of water, pull it out, still ticking. <laughs> live television. He'd put it on a water skier. That guy would fall, you know, in the water, pull it up, still ticking. <laughs> He put one guy on an 87-foot dive off of a cliff in Mexico. Hit the water, still ticking. <laughs> he put it in a washing machine one time. Pulled it out, still ticking. Takes a licking, keeps on ticking. And you know, their sales shot up immediately. In the 1960s, they grabbed over 25% of the watch market because this watch could take a licking and keep on ticking. No matter how hard you hit it, it just kept on working. Guys, you're going to take a knock here and there. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're going to run the jackhammer over you. You're going to get stuck in the spin cycle sometimes and get confused. Man, I don't know which way's up or down. Sometimes life is going to take a long dive. And you're going to have to bounce back from that. And go, Lord, this was tough. And I made a mess. But I'm not giving up. I'm going to get back on my feet and keep going. I think Peter, the Apostle Peter, is a great example of this. Listen to this conversation. Jesus goes to Peter. This is just hours before Jesus is going to die. He says, Peter, I've, I just want you to know Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Do you understand the sifting of wheat? You get put into the, into the sieve and then you, they throw the wheat up in the air. And then they shake it around in the basket. What Jesus is saying to Peter is you're going to get shook up. The devil's going to shake you, try to get you rattled. Here's what Jesus said to Peter. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now let's think about that, that verse for a moment. I've prayed for thee. When Jesus prayed, did the Father answer his prayers? Church, did, did the Father answer the prayers of Christ? Yes, all the time. Listen to this. I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Did Peter's faith fail? Think long before you answer. Did his faith fail? You're one of them. No, I'm not. You're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. You sound, you, are you sure? Blankety blank, I'm not one of them. That sure does sound like a failure. <laughs> Sounds like his faith took a knock. You know what Jesus said? I've prayed for you that thy faith fail not. Jesus is not looking at one little moment in time where Peter took a knock and didn't do so great. Jesus is looking at the bigger picture weeks later when he's standing with Peter on a beach and says, Peter, hey, do you love me? And three times Peter says, hangs his head and says, Lord, you know I love you. I, I regret, I'm so sorry. We already know that Peter went out and wept bitterly. 
As soon as the cock began to crow, he said, what have I done? You ever felt like that? You ever made a mess one day and just go home and go, what did I do that for? Peter didn't quit. Jesus prayed for him and says, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. And when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. In the statement, he says, I know you're going to temporarily get shook up, but you're going to bounce back. And when you do, you'll bounce back even stronger and better and able to help your other brothers and sisters that are having a moment in their faith where they're a bit weak. You can get them through it. Maybe this morning your faith has been tested and you've been shaken and maybe you're not handling it so well. Be durable enough to take another step of faith. Say, Lord, I'm not going to give up. I'll keep learning. Take your Bible. Come to Genesis chapter 22. In chapter 17, just to catch you up, God came, he came to Abram, Abraham changed his name, said, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. And he says, oh, by the way, Abraham, I'm, I am going to give you a child. He's going to be born from you and Sarah. You know what Abram, Abraham did? He laughed inside. He, <laughs> okay God you ever read some of these promises in the Bible and go yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah like that would ever happen in my life like, like I could have a mountain put into this like a sycamine tree I could, <laughs> not me Abraham had one of those moments in the next chapter oh, oh by the way when Abraham laughed God said oh Abraham you're going to name the boy Isaac I'm sure when Abraham's you know chuckling he was <laughs> what because Isaac means laughter. <laughs> That's God's little joke on Abraham. I'm sure when God told him, your name is Isaac, wink. <laughs> In the next chapter, Sarah overhears the Lord telling Abram about this promise again, and Sarah begins to laugh inside, not out, not you know, verbally, inside. And God turns to her and says, hey, why is Sarah laughing? Sarah says, no, 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 I didn't laugh. He says, yeah, you did. I know what's going on in your heart, Sarah. In, in her heart, she said, how am I, that I'm, how can I have pleasure again like that? that that's never going to happen. And he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer, of course, is no. They had their moments where the faith struggled just a bit. And now finally, you get to chapter 21, and Isaac is born. That baby they've waited all their lives for. You know what happens? By this point, Ishmael's a teenager. He's 13. And he starts picking on his little brother, making fun of him, mocking him. And God says, Abraham, tell your 13-year-old to get out of here. Hagar and Ishmael, gone. Abraham loves him. Man, that's hard. And now chapter 22, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. He tested him and said unto Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. Offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Of all the things God has ever told him to do, this had to have floored Abraham the most. Even more than that whole circumcise everybody thing. I mean, that took some faith. <laughs> that took faith. Now we're here, take your son, you already had to send Ishmael away, take the only other son you have, put him on an altar. Sacrifice your son. I, I'm, I don't know this for sure, but if I'm Abraham, here's what I'm thinking. Maybe Abraham thought this. God, haven't I proven my love already? God, wh why do you keep asking so much of me? You ever thought that about the Lord? God, I've tried to do this and then I've tried to be a good Christian. It, just keep, it feels like you keep asking more and more of me, God. When Jesus passed by the disciples and said, follow me, he did not hide the fact that discipleship is going to cost you something. I think it's dangerous now to get into the pulpit and make it sound as if the Christian life is easy. It's dangerous. 
It gives you the wrong idea of what you're getting into. Listen, the steps of faith that Abraham took are the same steps that God wants us to take. It takes courage. It takes durability. And it takes sacrifice. Jesus did not hide that fact. He was not shy about telling his disciples that. He he walks past Peter and Andrew. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says straightway they left their nets. Straightway. They didn't think twice. They left the nets. He then passes by James and John and says, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says James and John left their father and left the boats immediately. They didn't have to go down to the altar and pray about it. Right then and there, they said, Yes, Lord, here we come. The Christian life has always required sacrifice. I'll bring you back to Peter at the end of the book of John. You remember Jesus says, come and dine, and they're having a men's breakfast on the beach. Here's the question he asked him. Listen carefully. Jesus says to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? You see, Peter, after the resurrection, he went back to fishing for fish. Is it a sin to fish for fish? That's not a sin. That was Peter's old life. Now, Peter just went out and I don't think he meant any harm by it, but he went out and fished. And they caught 153 fish in one catch. Amazing. They brought it to shore. They're all over. The fish are all over the shore. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? I believe he's pointing to the fish. If Jesus would ask that of Peter, why would he not ask that of you? It is a fair question. It is a legitimate question. Do you love Jesus more than your job? Do you love Him more than your savings account? Do you love Him more than your hobbies? I'm not asking you this morning to start, I'm not asking you to go home and just start throwing stuff out of your house and out of your life just willy-nilly. Listen, you don't need to sacrifice more than God requires. Amen. Amen but he might ask a lot of you. And you need to sit down and count the cost and make sure if you're going to take these steps of faith that you're ready to make the sacrifices as they come. Do you love me, Jesus says, more than these? Well, this morning if we check your banking statements and your internet search history and your day books, I'm pretty sure we could get an idea of what you love. Jesus did say, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We can get an idea of looking how you spend your time and your money and the people you hang out with and and what you do when there's a church event and what you do with your Bible on a daily. We can get an idea if you love Him by what you sacrifice. What has your Christianity cost you? David said, I will not offer a sacrifice unless it costs me something. Remember that? He had that guy come and say, I'll I'll give you all the sacrifices. I'll give the wood. I'll spend it all. And David said, no, no, no. Let me pay for it. I won't offer unless it costs me something. It's a sacrificial step. May I ask you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. As you're finding Hebrews 11 and verse 6, let me just make this clear. God never asked you to sacrifice something simply for the sake of sacrificing. Do you understand what I mean by that? He's not going to go, hey, give that up just so that he can sit in heaven and go, hey, look, they don't have something. (laughs) I made him give it up. That's not why God does it. Anytime that God asks of you a sacrifice, He is making room to replace it with something better. Every time. Jesus, lay down your life as a sacrifice. What does God replace it with? The resurrection. He commands you, take up your cross, follow me. You know what that cross turns into? A crown. Every sacrifice is replaced with something better. 
You need to believe that the God who is asking of you these sacrifices is the same God who will reward you for those sacrifices. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. The Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How am I going to take these sacrificial steps by believing that the God who asked this of me is a rewarder of those that are diligently taking the steps? You got to believe that. When Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, let's work this through in our minds. God gave Abraham a promise that through Isaac, Abraham would have an innumerable amount of children. Is that right? Yes, church, are you with me? Okay, if you sacrifice and kill Isaac, how is that promise going to happen? You ever thought about that? Abraham thought about it. Go, go sacrifice your son. But, but God, that's the, that's the heir. If we kill him, there's no way to... You've already said through Isaac shall my seed be called. So this makes no sense. But okay, you said to do it. You know, you know what Abraham believed? I will kill Isaac and then God will bring him back from the dead and raise up seed through him. That, that's what he believed. Because he believed if God told me this promise and then gave me this command to sacrifice, they do not contradict because God doesn't contradict himself. They have to work together. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, look at 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. Isaac became a picture of Jesus Christ. You lay him down to sacrifice him, and I'll raise him up. Perfect picture of Christ. That sacrificial step is always going to be replaced with a blessing with some sort of a reward. Look at chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, grown now. That's 40 years old, by the way. In the Bible, you're not grown up till you're 40. Amen, I like that. I'm just getting started, praise God. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. How could Moses turn his back on all the worldly good that he had? He lived in the palace, great education, son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had all these worldly things going for him. Why turn his back on that to become one of the Jews who are slaves and persecuted? Because he knew in the end this sacrifice will pay off. And by faith, believing that God would honor the sacrifice, he took that step. Do you guys know the name Jim Elliott? The 1950s missionary in South America killed by the very people he was trying to reach. They threw a spear through his heart. Jim Elliott, before he went and died, he was in his 20s, he said this, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say it again. That's a lot of English there. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. My favorite missionary, John Patton, he said it like this. John Patton lived most of his life in the South Sea Islands. When he arrived there, there was not one Christian on the island. When he left, there was not one heathen. The entire island converted. Here's what he said. As I lay down my pen... Let me record my immovable conviction that this is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent. And that if God gave me back my life to be lived over again, I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar to Christ that he might use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially amongst those who have never heard yet that name of Jesus. He says all the sacrifices were worth it. You know, after he got off the boat on that island, a couple months later, his wife died. 
And a couple months after that, their newborn infant died as well. John Patton spent the night in coconut trees sometimes because the natives were trying to kill him. He sleep in the tree. And yet he said, I'd do it all again. The sacrifice was worth it. Peter, you love me more than these? You willing to give up fishing for fish so that you can fish for men? Peter was at a fork in the road, a crossroads, if you will. Not sinful to fish for fish, but the will of God was to fish for men. Are you willing to give that up to follow me? Peter's answer was yes. And maybe this morning you're at the fork in the road. Are you willing to turn your back on your plans and dreams and wishes for life and say, Lord, whatever step you want me to take. Sacrifice, costly, you're worth it. Are you willing to take those steps like Abraham did? Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Steps of faith. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Music will play softly. What a great example we have in Abraham. He took some big steps. Took courage. Endurance. Took a sacrifice. I'm inviting you this morning as we've often done in this church, if you want to come forward and do like Abraham did, build yourself a little altar here. Just spend a moment. Spend a moment here at the altar and say, Lord, whatever you want to change in my life, it's yours. I don't know how it's going to be received by my family. I don't know how it's going to affect my finances. Just tell the Lord I'm all in this morning. I want to finish the building of this tower, whatever it cost. Say, Pastor, I don't know if I have enough strength for that. Well, Jesus is praying for you. And even if your faith falters for a moment, you'll learn from that and serve Him even better afterwards. Keep walking. Keep taking steps of faith. Some are praying. I'll give you a moment. Do as God is leading you. You know, I've often seen it during a service like this where the step of faith He asks you to take is to actually step out from that seat and come forward. You'd be shocked how many people are just scared to death to do that. Now listen, if God's not putting that on your heart, don't do it. But maybe He is. Don't think that everybody's going to end up leaving kin and country. Listen, you come forward, God may not call you to leave South Africa. <laughs> don't be scared of that. But your discipleship will require that you carry a cross. The pastor, I've messed up. Made some mistakes. My faith has grown weak. Bounce back. Take another step. Keep going. So this kind of faith, you know, that's just for pastors and missionaries and prophets and, you know, no, 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 anybody. Circumcision, uncircumcision, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Even you, friend. A couple are still praying. I'm going to close the service in just a moment. I just want to ask if you've been here, let, let's say, offer. If you're here today and you've never been saved, the Holy Spirit today is asking you to take a look at the cross and believe that what Jesus did for you is enough to save you. This part costs you nothing. 
it cost God everything. This requires simple faith. Lord, I can't save myself, so I'll trust you to do it. That's all that you got to do today to be born again. That's it. So if you've never done that, would you please find me after the service? I'd be happy to help. Happy to help. Father, thank you this morning for the example we have in Abraham and many others that have walked by faith. Courageous, durable, sacrificial steps. Help us throughout this week, Lord, big or small, no matter what you ask of us, help us, God, to rise to the occasion. Thank you for being so patient with us, God. We struggle. When we can't see where we're going, we struggle. Help us, God, to walk by faith. Thank you for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here, Lord willing.